0: Well, I invite you to be seated. Good evening again. It is great to be with you. Um, I'm Father Morgan Reed, the vicar at Corpus Christi Anglican Church, uh, serving Springfield and Franconia uh, in Northern Virginia. Let me pray for us this evening as we begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord my rock and redeemer. Amen. Well, I remember uh, several months ago listening to something on the radio. They had this really interesting segment where people could call in with stories and these stories were in response to this prompt. Have you ever had a time where you were mad at a spouse or an insignificant other for something that they did in a dream? And it was amazing, all of the stories that were called in. Apparently, this is a really common thing to have happen. And I remember there was one couple that the the woman had been mad at her husband for almost two days for something that never really happened. And and that dream was so real to her that she just couldn't step away from from the dream's reality into actual reality. Dreams have an influence on our imagination and the ways that we perceive reality. Today in our gospel reading, we come to this passage in St. Matthew's gospel about King Herod and the wise men. And King Herod really lived in an alternate reality. I mean, what he does is he serves for us as this warning of the danger of pride and what happens uh, when somebody doesn't pursue Jesus. And so what we see in Herod is an encouragement for us to pursue Jesus with all that we have and and with all that we are, because pride is dangerous. And pride uh, casts for Herod an alternate reality that he lives in. There's a father of the church named John Cassian, and he writes this really interesting book about the eight deadly sins that tempt us and threaten our holiness. And in book 11, he talks about pride, or sometimes it's called vain glory. And what he does is he describes that vice as really particularly challenging because it's intermingled with virtues. And so, you know, perhaps you do something good, That's a good thing. You should do good things. But vainglory or pride, what it does is it comes alongside the good thing that you accomplished, and then it might cause you to obsess over the good thing that you just did and your ability to do that good thing. And so he says about pride that the person affected by pride is deluded by it, as if in sleep, a deep sleep. Someone in that deep sleep is led away into thoughts and imaginings that become this dreamlike reality for them, so that they can't actually attend to the present realities in front of them or be truly present to the people that are right in front of them because they're living in something like a dreamlike state. And that dream for them is their reality. And so on this feast day of the Epiphany of Jesus, we celebrate the light of the world. The light of the world who is bringing the realities of the kingdom of God to bear on the kingdom of mankind. And, and he is our hope, the hope for the nations, of which we tonight are all recipients. And, and the hope of the nations was not the one who was going to build the greatest temple It wasn't the one who was going to gather the greatest following. It wasn't going to be the one who was the most virulent or the one who accumulated the most wealth. That wasn't the hope of the nations. It was found in a child from a poor family in a small town who, as the God of all creation, had suffered and died at the hands of injustice to bring all people to himself. And you and I, we enter that story of Jesus in faith and in baptism And there's this really nice bookend with this passage where we find pagan nations bringing tribute to the king of of the nations, God's Messiah. And then at the end of St. Matthew's gospel, we find the great commission of Jesus to go out into the world, preaching the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit— Teaching them what Jesus has commanded. So we have this bookend of nations in Matthew's gospel. So we're entering into God's plans for the nations when we see the tribute that's brought by the Magi. The good news of Jesus isn't shown by the great things that we can accomplish for God through the acquisition of power or material wealth. Um, the good news of Jesus is shown in a heart and in a life that is being transformed as we seek Jesus with all that we have and what and we take whatever route we can to offer him the best gifts that we can so at Corpus Christi Anglican Church, uh, tonight begins a sermon series that will be going through over the next several months called Nations and Neighborhoods, where we're going to be taking the next several months to focus on how the good news of Jesus is good news for the neighborhoods in which we inhabit and in the homes in which we dwell and then the lives that we've been given and how that hope for our neighborhoods relates to the great hope for the nations. And in this passage, Herod completely missed it in verses 1 through 8. He lived in this dream world where he was the king of the Jews, which was actually what he was called by the Roman authorities. He believed all the false things that people were telling him about himself. We got to be careful of believing lies that people tell us when they make us feel good. So he was believing those lies about his kingship. And so any threat to his kingdom, his kingdom and his kingship became competition. And he actually did a accomplish a lot of really amazing building projects. I mean, even today, when you go to Jerusalem, you see part of the temple that he constructed. He kind of rivals Solomon in his ability to build things and to accumulate uh, wealth. But the thing about Herod is that he's got a very dark side. Um, It was famously said by Caesar Augustus that it's better to be Herod's pig Uh, than his dog. Now, of course, he probably didn't keep pigs uh, in Jerusalem, but, you know, there's a play on word in Greek. It's better to be his huis, a pig, than a huios, a son. And and the reason why is because he killed much of his family out of paranoia for uh, losing his kingship. Being granted a measure of power and wealth and position is not in and of itself a bad thing. Those are just stewardships, power, wealth, position, Those can be stewardships, a means to an end that God gives us to show his glory. The end is to offer all that we have and all that we are to Jesus so that we grow in loving union with him and so that we're made more like him. But for Herod, power and wealth and position had become the ends in and of themselves, And so he learned to placate whomever he needed to, to keep those things, whether it's placating Roman authorities or placating Jewish authorities. Remember, he's an Edomian, so he's like an Edomite. He's not really Jewish. He corrupted the leadership of Jerusalem, though. He gave them what they wanted in exchange for obedience to what he wanted. He missed the plan of God because of his desire, his deep desire to retain power and to retain position, and to retain the wealth that he had accumulated. So as a result of his hard heart and pride, what Herod did was live in a dream world. If, if he had learned to tell the truth about himself, and not listen to the lies that people told him, and, and to listen to the truth about the plan of God, then what he would have done is rejoiced at the work of God, the work that God was doing in this baby in Bethlehem. And instead, it became a threat. So vainglory has this deep way of, of keeping us untethered from reality, the realities of God, and it keeps us in a dreamlike state spiritually. We want to be present, we want to attend to, and we want to rejoice in the, the plan and the working of God. It's what we want to do. And so Herod serves for a warning uh, to us about the danger of pride and vainglory. By contrast to Herod, the next thing we come to in this narrative is is the introduction of the wise men from the East. We don't know much about the wise men from the East. The East and the Western traditions of the church have different traditions about how many there were, um, even about what their names might have been. We don't know um, even if they were kings. Most likely they were not. They were probably pagan priests that were from from the eastern part of the empire, likely Zoroastrian. And they had some familiarity with Judaism because Jews had been in Persia for 500 years. And so they were familiar somewhat with some of the tenets of Judaism and even some of the scriptures. So these pagan astrologers, you know, astronomy and astrology back then was kind of the same thing. These astrologers knew the sky like the back of their hand, and and they looked to the heavens to determine and to um, discern the realities of the things on earth. And there's this prophecy back in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers, chapter 24, verse 17. And it says, I see him now. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down the sons of Sheth. So we don't know exactly what the phenomenon was that they saw in the sky, but you can bet that they were attuned to what was happening. Maybe it was the alignment of particular planets uh, that had a very direct connection to prophecy uh, in the Old Testament. Perhaps God made a star miraculously appear, and they discerned that the king of the Jews was born who would exercise rulership over the foreign nations. We don't know uh, what they saw or what caused it, but in either case, they made it a point to travel the long journey along the Silk Road uh, west to bring their gifts to this Jewish king. They come to Jerusalem and they ask Herod where the king was. Now, Herod would have been well-known in the western part of the empire, Over in the east, people don't care who Herod is. They don't know who he is, uh, where these magi are from. And so Herod's ruthless reputation wouldn't have been that well known to them. And so they also wouldn't have known about uh, Jerusalem's uh, leadership and the way that it had been corrupted and wouldn't have been so excited about a competitive king uh, in competition to Herod. So they go and they ask Herod, About the king. And Herod asks them where the king is supposed to be born. And so they quote a portion of the Old Testament back to Herod. And they say, well, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. So they're quoting the prophet Micah. Herod doesn't want to risk having the now corrupted leadership in Jerusalem turn against him or doubt that his reign is actually the reign of being king of the Jews. And so he takes the wise men in secret. He gathers them together and he has a meeting. And he tells them to go to Bethlehem. And then when they do, and they see this king of the Jews to come back and report it to Herod so that he can go pay him homage as well. And again, these wise men may not have had an inkling that anything was wrong. And so they head off on the journey and the star reappears. And it leads them to the place where Jesus is with his mother in Bethlehem. They rejoice. And then they open their treasures to him. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. These are are royal gifts to celebrate a king. That little child is the good news for these pagan astrologers who have traveled thousands of miles uh, from far away to come see this king. He is good news For these foreign pagan astrologers. The men are warned in a dream then not to return to Herod. So God intervenes. And they leave another way and they go the long way back to their country. And if Herod gives us an example of delusion that's brought about by a distorted sense of self and self importance, then these wise men give us an example of the simple kind of faith that brings about the salvation of the nations and our neighborhoods. These wise men were wealthy enough to make a long trip with royal gifts. Likely, they had a large entourage to go with them. They knew that there was something that they didn't know yet. They needed to come and they needed to see it for themselves, no matter what it cost them, no matter what it took. And they wanted to offer their worship by any means necessary. So the way to awaken our senses to the realities of God's kingdom and God's work around us is to say to ourselves, there are things that I do not yet understand about the plan of God, but I need to come to Jesus, whatever route I can, with the best gifts that I can offer. How do we use the power that we've been granted and the resources that God's given us, and the position that we've been given? How do we use those things? Every part of our lives is a potential place to offer Jesus' worship. And so, if you're an employer, then do people appreciate being able to work for you? Have you created a space for them to be pointed to Jesus? If your disposition is, there are things that I know that I don't know, but I'm going to use this opportunity to employ others as a means to offer Jesus the best gifts that I can find, then that's going to be attractive to those employees and to those in their households. Perhaps you're an employee. And if your disposition is that there are things that you know that you don't know, but you're going to use this opportunity as an employee to work as a means to offer Jesus the best that you can possibly offer him that's going to get noticed. And that'll be attractive to your coworkers and perhaps even your employer. And if you're a stay-at-home parent or in any station of life that you find yourself in, it's your disposition that there are things that you know you don't know, but you're going to use that opportunity that you have as the means to give Jesus the best that you can give. And then, you know, if you're a stay-at-home parent, then your children are going to watch and they're going to learn from that example. Whatever station in your life, there are people that you come in contact with, they're going to notice. And as they become curious, they're going to ask, what's different? And you're going to have an opportunity to share the difference that Jesus makes for you. And if we want to be shaken out of that stupor of vainglory and pride to escape the dreamlike state that Herod was in and to be actually present to those realities and the works of God in our world. We begin with the simple disposition of the wise men. We know that there are things that we don't know. That's a good start. Uh, But what God has given us is a gift to be given back to him. And so we need to come by whatever route we can to offer him the best gifts that we can. That disposition brings about real heart transformation by the power of God. And it's the heart transformation that transforms not just our own lives, but our households, the communities that we're a part of, our neighborhoods, and then ultimately the nations. And as we enter into the season of epiphany together, let's rejoice in the ways that Jesus is the light of the world that he has come to bring salvation to the nations. And at the same time, let's recognize that the nations are not just out there. The nations are in the neighborhoods that we inhabit. And you and I are the recipients of the plan of God that we see in this passage. And so we pay homage to Jesus like the wise men. And we carry forth that good news. And again, this is bookended by the Great Commission in St. Matthew's Gospel, which is given by Jesus himself. It's in the smallness of a life being transformed. It's those words that we speak to other people. It's the actions that we take and those around us see those actions. It's those things that are going to compel others into that that life of the Magi here. And they're going to be compelled to ask the question and and say, I know that there are things that I don't know, but there's one thing I'm sure of. I have to go by whatever route I can to see this King of the nations. And I have to offer him the best gifts that I can possibly find. Let's pray. Oh God, you made us in your own image And you have redeemed us through your son, Jesus Christ. You look with compassion on the whole human family. Take away the arrogance and the hatred which infect our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us. Unite us in bonds of love. And work through our struggle and confusion to accomplish your purposes on earth. That in your good time all nations and races may serve you in harmony around your heavenly throne.